Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. My guest today is Simon Alexander-Ong. Simon is a personal development entrepreneur, award-winning life coach and public speaker. His work is seen and featured on Sky News, Forbes and the FT as well as talks and keynotes for organizations and events. His clients are from all walks of life, but they all share one trait. They all believe that the biggest and greatest investment you can make is in yourself. Simon helps people to achieve big goals with a particular focus on the power and science of energy management. In his book, Energize, he continues to promote this theory and coaches his readers to work with their natural energy resources to recognize your most energized state. And it has been endorsed by the likes of best-selling author Simon Sinek and Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. With so much momentum and exposure on his amazing processes and life-changing theories, I am privileged he has taken the time to join us today and discuss all the moments that have shaped his life. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Simon. Jenny, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, You've been so busy recently. I've been following you. I can't keep up with everything that's going on. How's life and everything going for you at the moment? I've got to say, Jenny, I am just grateful for everything right now. I said to myself that getting a book deal with Penguin was already an incredible life event. And then as you kindly shared in the introduction, being able to have it endorsed from the likes of Simon Sinek, Marie Folio, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, it was a pinch me moment uh, to have to experience that. And so anything else from that point to me was a bonus. Yeah. And so right now I'm just enjoying every minute of this, uh, of this wonderful journey. 
I love that so much. And what does, I mean, you do so much. What would you say, and you might not be able to answer this specifically, what does a typical (laughs) day look like for you? I, I, I agree. It's a difficult question because every every day is dependent on what is coming through my inbox and what I've got scheduled in my diary. But I would say what is common amongst most days is waking up, moving my body, spending time with my with my daughter before she goes off to nursery, doing a bit of reading, and then focusing on how can I add value to people's lives, however small. And, and that is a beautiful way to continually cultivate and nurture my network. And for me, that's where opportunities lie. It's within the networks that we have. And depending on the responses I get, depending on inquiries, that would then dictate the, uh, the middle of my day uh, on what I spend time doing. Anything from coaching clients to speaking at events to exploring partnerships together and deciding where I'm going to travel next. Yeah, I mean, sounds like a great day. I'd love to have a day like you. And what did you want to be when you were growing up? Because I, I guess maybe a life coach and what you do now wasn't kind of the dream as it might have been when you were little. But what did what did you want to be when you were little? When I was little, I, I actually wanted to be an artist. I, I was very into drawing and painting. Uh, and I remember one competition my my parents entered me into. I won at the age, I think it was seven or eight, I won this local competition. And that gave me the motivation to want to continue exploring art as a teenager. Of course, it it isn't something I continued with because pressure from family and and my peer group told me that there was no money to be made in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still that eye for design and interest in how things look and feel has been very helpful for the work that I do in business. Yeah. And I think creativity in any form like helps Mm. us with everything that we do. And I mean, did you even know what a life coach was when you were younger? (laughs) Absolutely not. I I had no idea this industry existed. Uh, In fact, when whenever I heard the word coach, my mind would jump straight to the to the sporting arena. Mm -hmm. You know, tennis stars, uh, sports teams would have coaches, but it made sense to me for them to have so. But I never realized that we working in the corporate space or trying to better ourselves could also have access to coaching. And so it wasn't until I graduated from university where I started to realize that actually any one of us can, can hire coaches. Yeah. And also like anything I think that people can relate to, we can learn from. And I think we forget that sometimes that, you know, if we can talk to someone that we can relate to, that's when we can learn a lot. And I mean, you've done so much so far and you've got so much ahead of you as well. What would you say kind of for all the things that you do, what's the favorite part of your job that, that kind of gives you life? For me, I think the favorite part is seeing the impact that my work has on others. And just to give an example of what I mean, anything from hearing from a client uh, on a WhatsApp message or an email about something they've achieved during the time that we've worked together. So so recently I had a WhatsApp message from someone saying, Simon, I wrote a a good note of gratitude to a friend I hadn't seen for a while. And the impact it had on me has -hmm. been incredible. I'm starting to see my own reality in very different ways by working from this place of gratitude. Or when I speak to an audience and I get messages on social media uh, or a year or two later of someone saying, you know, going to that talk of yours really set uh, a new path for me. It got me thinking differently. And just to hear those sort of responses, those sort of messages, that for me is the real reward. Uh, It's the reward of seeing how it is positively impacting the lives of others. Definitely. And I think, you know, I always say, 
even if you can just kind of impact one person, like it, you've done your job, like it doesn't have to be millions <laughs> and thousands, just changing the life of one person or their outlook or something. Um, and how did you become someone that focuses mainly on energy? So mm. energy is kind of like your book's called Energize. You talk a lot about the power that our energy has. How did that come about for you? Sure. So first of all, a little behind the scenes. So when I when I put forward my book proposal to, to Penguin, the original working title was Energy is Everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we went through the editing process, that eventually evolved into Energize. Now, the thinking behind writing about energy is because when I looked at my own journey and when I observed those who were the most successful in their industries, what I realized is the reason they were is because they had the energy to keep going, to be consistent over a very long period of time. And they understood that if we want to thrive, we've got to first look after ourselves. Uh, And once we look after ourselves, the energy that we have uh, can have an impact on those that we lead, those that we, uh, those that we employ. And if you look at the, I think it's two, two, two and a half years in which the world went into lockdown because of the COVID pandemic. Yeah we appreciated more than ever just how important our health is. Mm -hmm. You know, to the healthy person, they can have many hopes, dreams, and wishes, but to the sick, they have only one. And so unless we've got a strong energetic foundation in place, it is very difficult to put a lot of the knowledge that we acquire into action. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, the term energy, I mean, when I think about it, I just think, God, I never have any energy. I never have enough energy to do things I want to do, but I still do it. And I think it's mm. it's also delving deeper into what energy means. And I wanted to ask you, you know, not every, you can't have 100% full-blown mm. energy all the time. From your perspective, when you know you're, you've got low energy or you're feeling, what, what do you do to kind of get through those kind of uh, lower periods? Sure. For me, it's to simply disconnect from what I'm doing in that moment and to go into places that will energize me. Now, one of the easiest things that we can do is to spend some time walking in nature. Mm -hmm. Nature is filled with uh, what scientists call negative ions. Now, I don't promote people spend a lot of time around negative things, but that is the one thing I would encourage uh, because negative ions are things such as spending time in nature, walking by water, spending time by the ocean, uh, you know, being around rain. What happens is natural everyday things like that contain a lot of negative ions in the outdoor space. Now, when we dilute the positive ions that we have when we just stay inside all day, uh, what happens is it almost gives our mind a shower. It's like our mind has just had a long bath. And so that's one of the easiest things that we can do to recharge. But for me, it's also moving your body, reading Mm -hmm. something inspiring, connecting with a friend over the phone or for coffee, things that take you out of just sitting in front of your desk, staring at a screen all day. Uh, And these simple things can bring us back with renewed focus, energy and focus. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because when I have a lack of energy, I like if I'm just slumped on the couch or, you know, as you say, sitting in front of your laptop, <laughs> the, the natural instinct is like, well, I don't have enough energy to do anything. But actually, mm. when I go outside and just go for a walk to the end of my road, grab a coffee and come back, it's so incredible how much better you feel. <laughs> and I think you're right. Energy doesn't necessarily need to always be the physical. Mm, mm. And, and when we think about energy... Uh, 
we have to also include the other dimensions. Uh, and there are four dimensions. There's a the physical, there's the mental, there is the emotional, and there is the spiritual. Now, mm -hmm. physical is the easiest thing because we can observe that. So you might look at someone and say, oh, you're looking a bit tired today. You need more sleep or you're lacking energy today. Maybe you should go to the gym or go for a walk or maybe you need to eat better. Your diet is just full of junk. So those are the obvious things because we can see that yeah. uh, and we can see the impact that has. But the other three are invisible. You know, someone's mental energy, emotional energy and mm -hmm. spiritual energy is invisible. Uh, and just to give an example, you may have a lot of physical energy but you might have very low spiritual energy. Now, mm -hmm. low spiritual energy means that what you do for work is different to what you really want to do for work. Mm -hmm. And that's what creates a bit of tension. Uh, so what you're actually doing doesn't give you the space to express your strengths or express your true self. And that is actually the real reason why many of us are exhausted, not because we're doing too much, but because we're doing too little of the things that bring us joy and also because we're running someone else's race. So that's what it means to be low on spiritual energy. You're not in alignment to who you are and where your talents and gifts lie. Yeah. Oh, Simon, I could talk to you all day about this. Stuff. I love it. Um, well, before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moment, I wanted to ask you, so obviously um, the podcast is based around the sliding doors film and the theory of, you know, how one moment can change your life. What do you believe about kind of the sliding doors theory? So do you believe that we have a path that's written for us? Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Do you think it's about timing, fate, coincidence? What What do you believe? I think that life and the path that we uh, we embark on is a combination of us showing up, but also luck. We have to also give credit to the element of luck. I am never going to say that where I am is a 100% result of my hard work. I mean, yes, my hard work has helped, uh, but of course, I've also had lucky moments. Uh, mm -hmm. whether that has been people I've met or a referral that has come through or happening to be at the right place at the right time uh, when I had uh, an opportunity land on my land on my lap. And so I think there's an element of both um, when, when we think about our path in life. And in order to increase the probability that we get those lucky breaks or we're in the right place at the right moment, uh, we've got to have that courage to just show up, uh, expand our comfort zone and try things. You, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying things so much and uh, experimenting with new ideas and diving into new projects that when somebody asks me, uh, am I ever there? The answer will always be no, because every year I feel like I'm just getting started. Uh, and that's because I'm doing lots of things for the very first time you know, launching this book. Uh, I've never written a book before. This is my first time writing a book. So that for me was a new experience. I'm I'm looking at pitching for taking some of my work and, and translating onto television. Now that's going to be a new experience I've never done before. And so I'm going to learn a lot from that process. And so when you put yourself into positions in which you are a complete beginner, not only will your learning curve accelerate, but also you create a lot more moments of luck because you're just trying things. You're planting seeds and you have no idea which one of those seeds will eventually blossom into an orchard. We can't predict that part, but we can control how many seeds we plant. Yeah, you're right. It's like if we don't put ourselves out there, it's never going to mm. come back. But I guess do you also believe in kind of, you know, the law of attraction. So the energy mm. that you give out can also come back to you in kind of the form of luck. 
Definitely, definitely. I, I think how we show up in the world dictates what opportunities we attract. Uh, you, you know, we we can't explain it, mm-hmm. uh, but we can only feel it. Uh, and I joke with people that, you know, we all know about energy intellectually, uh, but we might not know it from a practical sense. You know, if you speak to people and say, what do you call uh, that that energetic life force in Star Wars? They'll go, yeah, I know it. It's called the force. In in yoga, they call it prana. In my Chinese culture, they call it chi. Now, it comes described as various different names, but we're all talking about the same thing, which is this energetic life force. Now, if we are living at a high energetic level, what it means is that we're vibrating at a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Now, when we are at that level, what happens is that when people come into our field, they can't help but be attracted to us. They want to help you, but they don't know why. There's a certain feeling they get from seeing you succeed. And this is what we call energetic vibration. Yeah, I definitely feel it. And I definitely also feel what you get back from other people when Mm. you're kind of feeling happy and good and giving out those vibrations, you (laughs) definitely get it back. Um, No, I think that's a brilliant theory. And I think it's one that, you know, it, it, it combines both elements. It combines the element of, you know, making sure you're putting yourself out there, but then that kind of luck element coming through. So that's mm. great. Um, so onto your first sliding doors moment. So failing my second year of university and having to resit that year. So this is a great sliding doors moment. Um, <laughs> so do you want to start off by telling us what were you studying at university and explain kind of how you came to fail the year? Sure. So just to give some background context first. So I grew up in a somewhat strict Asian household, as I'm sure many Asians uh, listening can resonate with. And so it was more about spend time doing your homework, get get good academic grades, get to a good school. And when I did go out to socialize, it was, you can do this, but you have to be back by a certain time Mm -hmm. and you can't drink, you can't smoke. Now, what happened is when you have a very extreme set of rules, when you are then let loose into the world, <laughs> yeah. you jump to the opposite. You go to the opposite extreme. You're like, freedom. So, exactly. So yeah. when I started university, it was at the London School of Economics. Uh, and I, I studied uh, economics. And I, I was pursuing a career in banking at the time. And so when I did have this freedom to be a student at university, away from home, away from uh, any sort of rules, I, I went to the opposite extreme. Mm-hmm. When people asked me to go out to a party, when they asked me to go to uh, social events, I was always, yes, 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 yes. Uh, and I, I would often drink a lot uh, during those years. And so it got to my second year and it was about six weeks before exam time. Yeah, And I knew I had to... Sp- put my head down, revise and and do well. But a couple of my friends uh, asked me, do I want to go for these events? They were hosting some events with friends from other universities in London. Now, if I said no, and and, and I sat down and I studied, maybe I would have passed that second year the first time. Yeah. But because I said, yes, why not? I still got six or seven weeks until the exams. Suddenly I lost so much time from being able to prepare for those exams. And so when I checked the results that summer by logging onto the website and seeing that I had achieved three Fs out of four exams that I'd sat, can you imagine what was going through my mind when I had to walk downstairs and tell my Chinese family that that I had just failed my second year? Uh, And they were expecting me to pass. I mean, they had the champagne in the ice bucket downstairs. They were like, Simon, congratulations. You're going to be going to your final year of university. And I had to tell them that I'd failed. And now the reason I, I think for me this is a sliding door moment is 
because if I did not fail my second year, I would never have met my my now wife. Oh, I because love this. a three year degree became a four year degree, mm-hmm. and so in my fourth year at university, which was uh, two thousand six or two thousand seven. I should have actually be starting in the world of work. Yeah. But because I had to reset a year, that became my additional year at university. And that's where I met my wife who decided to uh, come from New York to London to spend a year uh, here studying in the UK. Oh my gosh, this is massively fake. <laughs> Sliding doors. I love it. It's brilliant. Um, and I was going to kind of ask you about meeting people because I think the biggest mm. thing that I think of when I think about this is, is you know, when you have to reset a year, it's the people that you kind of meet in that next year that impact everything. But I mean, before you failed this, what did failure mean like to you? I mean, you said you grew up in quite a strict household. Was kind of failure not really an option when you were growing up and in your mind? Yeah, I mean, it, it was considered to be opposites. You either succeeded or you failed. So if you succeeded, then you were celebrated. Uh, if, if you failed, then you felt ashamed Mm -hmm. And it was, what are you going to do better? Uh, And you're not going to fail next time, are you? And so for me, it was very black and white. You either succeeded or you failed. And if you failed, it's not good. If you succeeded, it's great. Now, while that definition can affect us mentally in the way that we approach work, there was also a positive side to it when I was young. Because I had this fear of not wanting to fail, it meant that I worked hard. I -hmm. put in the hours and I got the grades that it required to get to a good university. I mean, to study economics at London School of Economics is one of the most prestigious experiences. So I can't knock it for that because it gave me that opportunity to, to get there. But at the same time, I think going from that to the world of work, starting in a company, starting your own business... That's why I had to learn that actually failure is very important in, mm-hmm. in the journey of accomplishing any mean, anything meaningful. And so that shift occurred in my adult years, and it was almost reinventing and questioning the beliefs that I'd held from a young age. Definitely. And I, that's another thing I was going to say to you is, is that, do you feel like that failure at that age in what you were doing, mm. you know, impacted how you took failure moving forward, but also kind of, I guess knowing that you you had that choice so you had mm-hmm. that choice whether to focus on your work or whether to go yeah. out and at that time you made the choice to and listen looking at back at it now <laughs> you know having fun at university is is important it's just as important as your your hard work but mm. you know you were lucky that you managed to reset the year and as you say kind of go on and meet your wife and everything like that mm. do you think it kind of as you say, like really helped you in the future to understand the kind of power that you have to make sure that you don't fail in the future? I think yes and no. Yes, in the sense that uh, it taught me that if I put my head down, I can achieve a lot, Yeah, which I didn't at the time. And, and no, in the sense that if I didn't fail, I would have met my wife. Uh, but also because I failed, it taught me a very important skill that I don't think I would have learned until later on in life. Because as a, as a Chinese student growing up here in the UK, I was naturally very shy. I was very introverted. I worked hard, but I would never be the one that would go up on stage and speak in front of a class. Yeah. Now, because I had failed, it meant that I could not apply for jobs or internships via the typical route. And the typical route is going online, filling in an application form, typing in your grades, 
because I would never get past the first hurdle. Yeah. My grades were F, 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 and then a very low percentage mark for the final subject. And so because I couldn't apply for a job the normal route, I had to be creative. And so I signed myself up to a lot of the company presentations. I went, I networked, I invited people, I met for coffee, for lunch, to get to know the company, to get to know the team, and bypassed the traditional system. And so what happened is a number of these individuals said, Simon, send me a copy of your CV. I'll forward it onto HR and we'll get you a round one interview. The rest is up to you. So that's all I needed. I just needed that foot in the door. And that came from building relationships myself. And so it got me out of my shell. It Mm -hmm. got me to speak to people, to introduce myself. And I think that became a very important skill later when I transitioned from the corporate world into business. Yeah, that's brilliant because you're right. Like it's not, you don't, you know, it's not just about being academic and getting Mm. the grades. You've got to have, you know, you've got to show the passion. You've got to, you know, people feed, as you say, off energy. They feed Mm. off who you are as a person. And I often say you're totally right. If you can just get your foot in the door, it's then up to you. Passing Mm. that first hurdle is the hardest thing. And, you know, it's hard for me to ask you this question because you also said that you met your wife, but how different do you think life would have been if you hadn't have failed that year. So if everything kind of was put a year, you know, you didn't have that extra year and everything started a year earlier. Do Mm. you ever think about how different life would have been for you? Yeah, I I think if two things didn't happen, I think life could have been very different. And when I say two things, I'm referring to the second sliding door moment, Mm -hmm. which is the global financial crisis. So if I didn't fail that year and I completed my degree a year earlier, and the global financial crisis never happened, I may not be on the path that I am now. Mm-hmm. Because the money that I was earning uh, in finance when I graduated was was pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and if I started work earlier, uh, then I would have got under my belt a few years of good salaries. Even if the financial crisis did happen, which it did, I would have still accumulated a, an extra year of, uh, of savings or income. So who knows? I, I mean, I think I may have been on a very different path. You definitely would have been. And very quickly, before we go on to your second moment, how did you actually meet your wife? So it's, it's, it's very fascinating, actually. So uh, I, I was doing an internship with Lehman Brothers, mm-hmm. uh, which were connected to the second point, but I was doing an internship with Lehman Brothers the year before graduating. And during this summer internship, I was I identified uh, as one of the better public speakers. Mm-hmm. And so what they wanted to do is they were looking to host a careers fair. So, so every university was hosting a careers fair. And they wanted students who were at the university who had done an internship with the company to be kind of like their spokespeople, to yeah. share what it was like working with them, uh, to promote the company. So I was at this careers fair, which was over two floors uh, in one of the LSE academic buildings. And Laurie, her name, uh, she she was wandering around with students, uh, you know, getting the flies and leaflets, asking questions about these companies uh, in case she wanted to apply for an internship. And so we actually connected first there. But because I was speaking to so many people, I, I didn't really remember her because, yeah. you know, she remembered me easier because I'm just one person. But yeah. I was speaking to so many people coming by. And then we connected on Facebook. Uh, and then the next morning, uh, we happened to be going to the same class. The only reason she came to my class is because 
there were there was another class she was meant to attend before but because she was late finishing the gym she actually ended up coming to my class and oh, wow. i happened to be sitting uh, on the side of the uh, of the room yeah. and because she was late she just kind of snuck into the side and we just sat there and at the end of the class she said to me wait aren't, aren't you the guy uh, i spoke to last night at the careers fair and that's how we first connected and it was it was about eight or nine months before we started officially dating. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of friends first and then we naturally progressed to to the dating stage. And she had to go back to the US because she was only uh, here in the UK for, for study abroad. And she went back and we were like, okay, let's see what happens because this was a long distance. Yeah. And we weren't sure if I was going to move there or she was going to move here. And a year later, she said, Simon, I just landed a, a internship in London. Uh, are you still there? Are you still working? And we just reconnected and took it from there. And, you know, as they say, Jenny, the rest is history. The rest is history. I mean, this is just amazing. <laughs> All these like mini sliding doors moments. If, you know, she haven't been late at the gym and if you haven't been <laughs> sat there. But you can pinpoint it all back for you, for the fact that you failed, for the fact mm. that you met her in the first place. So amazing, amazing moment. <laughs> I really, really love that. And as you mentioned, um, we can go on to your second moment, which was uh, the global financial crisis of mm. 2008. So um, this was a kind of a big life changing moment for a lot of people. But explain specifically, how was this a sliding doors moment for you? Sure. The reason for me why this is a sliding doors moment is because it kickstarted. It really was the beginning of uh, of the journey of where I am today. It kickstarted that process. So when I graduated and I was like, yes, I got a job now. I remember calling up my dad when I got the offer signed. And I said, because my dad was abroad at the time. I said, daddy, you know, I just got uh, an offer to work at Lehman Brothers, which is this big American investment bank. And my dad was so happy because you have to imagine uh, just a year or so before he was having to receive the news that his son had failed a year yeah. at university. Mm-hmm. And so now hearing that he's just got a job in, in Canary Wharf uh, in the east of London, working for a prestigious investment bank, he was very happy for me. And so I had these big dreams. I, I was thinking I'm going to work here for a few years. I'll work myself up the ladder and then I'll reevaluate my, my choices a few years down the line. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, 14 months after I joined, we were in the, uh, in the heart of the financial crisis. And my company also happened to be one of the, uh, the most effective companies, which ended up in bankruptcy in September 2008. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I say it was a sliding doors moment is because even though I went back into another job, so I was in and out of jobs within the financial industry for nearly 10 years. So from 2007 to around 2017, uh, that was my time in the financial industry. Now, the reason it became a sliding doors moment is because that experience got me questioning uh, what I was doing and what I wanted to do long term. And even though I did go back into other jobs in finance, on the side, I was beginning to explore what life would be like if I was working for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I started reading uh, business books, self-development books. I started to go to seminars. I started to surround myself with different people. Uh, and that really began to snowball over the, over the next few years. And you mentioned before when we were talking about energy, about spiritual energy and kind of that being like, is this what you actually are meant to be doing, Mm. want to be doing? Do you think it's when that kind of started to click in your head that the two weren't married together? Definitely, because, and I think it also taught me that uh, success and fulfillment are very different. Because on the outside, people are saying, Simon, you're very successful. You know, you've you've got this nice job. You're working in a big glass building. But on the inside, I 
just didn't feel any joy because I'd followed the path that I felt uh, would make me successful. But of course, now with the financial crisis, all of that was just swept to one side. And so it really got me questioning, well, is this really what I want to do if it's not bringing me joy? You know, it's not going to pay me anymore. I mean, it's different if it paid well and I continue to have visibility on the fact that, you know, I'm going to be here for the next 10 years and it's going to pay me well. I'm going to get great bonuses. But once you take money out of the equation, you really are left a bit naked in answering, well, is this job worth it if you're not going to get paid for it? Mm -hmm. And the answer was no. Um, The answer was no. If I'm not going to get paid as well as I thought I was going to get paid and the industry is going to be completely changed now, what do I really want to do with my life? Yeah. And having gone through uh, two recent deaths in the family, so having seen my my mom pass away and then my grandfather pass away uh, in, in, in the years before, it really got me thinking about how short life was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that in mind, uh, I thought, I want to start exploring uh, what I want to do, what my definition of success is, so I can kind of own that more rather than do something because I want to make someone else happy definitely and I mean you'd worked really hard to get to where you were you Mm. know it wasn't that you were kind of you know forced to do economics and you didn't enjoy it it sounds like you did really enjoy the process and everything Mm. at university do you remember was there kind of a a light bulb moment when you were kind of working in the financial industry where you were just like you know what this just isn't me I I think it was probably a series of things I, I mean I remember during the day when I moved to my my second job there were moments where I would step away from the desk. I would, I would go to the toilet cubicle, lock the door and just put my head on the side of the, uh, of the, of the, of the cubicle. And I would just shut my eyes and just imagine a very different future. Uh, and I would just do that a couple of times a day. And I think that was one of the early signs that I just wasn't doing something fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing something that I enjoyed. The fact I had to go to a toilet cubicle and yeah. just nod off for 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 some time told me that I had to start looking elsewhere. And I think that there are moments that make you realize that if you're not choosing a different direction, you're choosing the situation you're in. And I knew I didn't want to choose the situation I was in. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make different choices. And once I started to expose myself to different environments to see what was possible that got me energized to know that there is something outside of the finance world that I could be doing. But because I'd never been exposed to that, uh, I mean, no one in my family had worked, worked in worked for themselves in running a company or or scaling a business. And so I had to do all of this myself. Uh, So I didn't know any better outside of a couple of jobs that everyone was doing. And so to now expose myself to what would be possible I became flush with ideas. I wanted to try things. I wanted to experiment. Uh, and that's really what happened in, in the early part of my journey. Yeah. And you mentioned before about, you know, when you were talking about failing your second year, but also the global financial crisis. If if this hadn't have happened, and obviously, obviously we, we wish it hadn't, because <laughs> I think everyone does, but for you specifically, because it seems like it was really the catalyst to everything mm. for you, do you think, you know, you could still probably be in the industry now? Do you think it maybe would have, or do you think, do you think somehow your path would have always led you here? It's, it's a good question. I mean, if I had to imagine the crisis not happening, I may have taken a path I'm now on, but I think I probably would have started a lot later. Yeah. Uh, simply because 
if the crisis didn't happen, the money in the industry would still be very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once the crisis occurred, the way that you got paid changed drastically. Massively, yeah. Uh, because it came under regulation and, and then suddenly people weren't paying enough because people were just quitting the industry. And if you look at what's happened since then, the the tech industry has almost become the new banking. Mm-hmm. So people go into the tech world, they're getting a lot of high salaries, whereas the banking world is now seen as this sort of like, you know, boring job, if you will, this sort of boring industry. Uh, but at the time, if the crisis didn't happen, I would have picked up a few nice paychecks over the years. And that would have kept me uh, working yeah. in that job. Uh, because you get used to a certain lifestyle, you get comfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have to worry uh, about where the money's going to come from to eat out, to travel to nice places, then why sacrifice that? Uh, but with the crisis, it really got me into a corner to change my thinking. Yeah. And it sounds like, as you say, I think you would have, because I think we're all motivated by money, like a hundred percent. We can't say we're not, mm-hmm. but I think you, as you say, you probably would have got to a point where mm-hmm. you needed the kind of mental motivation as well, but maybe it just would have taken you a bit longer to get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh, great. Well, again, out of crises can come good things for people. So that's a good one. So on to your last line, Dosman, which is saying yes to an invitation to a birthday event for someone I didn't know. So I feel like we've saved the best to last because I love, <laughs> these are like my favorite moments. So I was hoping for a love story, but I'm thinking it's maybe not because you mentioned how you met your wife. So yeah. do you want to explain all about this moment and what happened and tell us about this event? Sure. So this event happened in my in my second to last uh, corporate job. Mm-hmm. So in my penultimate job being employed. So I had just uh, set up my website. I had just completed my coaching qualifications, and I was slowly building up my presence. Except uh, w- uh, with anything for the first time, it's very difficult to try and get new clients when nobody knows what you do or you have no evidence that you can you can deliver value. And so I wanted to put myself into situations where I can learn from other people. And a friend that I hadn't caught up with for a while, uh, he, he said to me, and he was also a fellow Lehman colleague. So he also worked with me when, when I started at Lehman Brothers. He'd gone on and he, he did other things as well. And he said, Simon, we haven't met for a few years. Uh, do you want to catch up uh, later this week? Uh, I'm going to be in London because uh, a friend of mine is having a birthday in uh, in West London. Uh, would you be free to join? You don't know the guy, but uh, I'd love to introduce you to him. It looks like he's doing some similar work to you. And I was a bit hesitant because I was still working. Uh, so it meant I had to go straight from the office to this event mm-hmm. and come home uh, late. Uh, and because I'd gone through understanding uh, how important my lifestyle was, I, I was a lot more disciplined than I used to be uh, yeah. at the beginning of my career. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll come by and I might only be able to stay for an hour, hour and a half uh, before I have to come back and, and get ready for another day at work. And so he said, sure, you know, it'll be, just good, it'll be good just to see you. So I, I go along to, to this bar in West London. And he's there and, and there's lots of people uh, there that I don't know apart from this ex-Lehman uh, colleague. And so he starts to introduce me to all of these people. And the birthday guy is uh, is someone called Dominic who also does something similar to me. Mm-hmm. And we connect. And he says to me, Simon, great to connect with you. Uh, I, I'd love to introduce you to, uh, to a friend of mine called Mark. Uh, and Mark was also someone else who was at this event. And he said, Mark is running a mastermind group. And just from our very short conversation together, it sounds like that you would be a perfect fit for this mastermind group. So I went to meet Mark and I said, hey, Mark, I'm I'm Simon and this is what I'm looking to do. And 
the only place I'd read about a mastermind group was the uh, was the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. But I'd never been a part of one, so I had no idea what to expect. And he said to me, Simon, what are you doing uh, next week? Would you be interested in joining us to, to talk about business? Of course, me, very eager, very enthusiastic, said, yeah, of course, I, I, I want to come along and see what, what this is all about. This event happened to be held at the Ritz Hotel in London. Mm-hmm. And the people in this group, there were 10 in total. The individuals here got me sweating because I felt completely out of place. Yeah. The first person said, hey guys, uh, I am Patrick and uh, my my partner and I, we've just co-founded HelloFresh uh, here in the UK and we're looking to expand it. We've just been delivering uh, these boxes to people by hand uh, and we're just looking to bring in some, some more members to our team. Now that company has gone on to be floated on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange yeah. at a multi-billion dollar valuation. The next person had just flown in from Los Angeles after receiving an award for a book that they had uh, they had authored. I was sitting at the end of this circle thinking, why the hell am I here? I, I've just come from a nine to five corporate job. Mm-hmm. I haven't even got my business running apart from a website and some social media. How do I introduce myself without looking like a complete fool here? And this is why I, I mentioned that birthday event as a sliding door moment, because yeah. being in that setting with those people completely changed my mindset. You know, the habits that they, they embraced that I was aspiring to have were their normal. It was normal for them to wake up early. It was normal for them to exercise. It was normal for them to reach out to people. It was normal for them to push themselves out of their comfort zone. And so they took my thinking from thinking big to thinking astronomical. And uh, since then, I've become friends with uh, a lot of those in the group and seeing their success has been incredible, but it has also motivated myself. Definitely. And so what is a mastermind group? So a a mastermind group at its very basic level is where you bring together uh, individuals from different backgrounds uh, who share uh, similar beliefs and values, but are really looking to help one another grow. Uh, now, in this case, it was a business mastermind group. Uh, so it's to share resources, it's to share networks, uh, but also for each of us to help one another in the challenges that we faced. So someone might say, uh, the current challenge we have is we were looking to expand into this country, but we don't know the best way to go about it. And then someone might say, well, I've got a friend that has just expanded internationally to two continents. You and I, uh, you and I should catch up so I can connect you to him. So it's really about helping one another uh, in a very intimate setting so that everybody can grow to that next level. What a brilliant sliding doors moment this is, because <laughs> I think there's loads of things. I think we all get asked to go to something and, you know, we, we're we tired and well, we don't think it's going to be relevant. <laughs> and it's exactly what you said at the beginning, the point of like, you know, if you don't plant all these seeds, you don't mm. know. And it doesn't mean we have to say yes to ever, ever, mm. everything, but you never, ever know who you're going to meet yeah. or what's going to happen. And you were open to the opportunity. Mm. You met these people. And, you know, I think... Another point you make is, you know, when you were sat there and like, who am I? What do yeah. I do? And what kind of advice would, because I mean, were you in, we, did you mentally kind of know where you wanted to go, but you just weren't there yet? How did you cope in that situation? Uh, absolutely not. I had, I had no idea, honestly, of where I wanted to go and if anything would succeed. I just knew I wanted to get out of the, the corporate environment I was in because mm-hmm. I was unfulfilled. I was lacking energy spiritually. I, I just knew that my future wasn't in employment. But I had no idea where I wanted to take this business idea because it was, it was only a side hustle. It was, well, let's see where this coaching thing goes. 
uh, and I was very early, so I had no expectation of what was going to happen. But being in that environment really got me thinking. Mm-hmm. And people said to me, Simon, if you're looking to coach or if you're looking to run an event, I should connect with this person, this organization. And suddenly now I was thinking, wow, this is really going to make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, this is really going to push me out of my my zone so far. But it also showed me that it is so important to put yourself into situations like that, yeah. which are uncomfortable, in which you do feel, in, in my case, you do feel like the dumbest person in that circle because that's how we learn. That's how yeah. we grow. That's how we're challenged. I mean, if we are always the most ambitious, the most successful in our in our community or, or our circle, how much more can you learn? Mm-hmm. Uh, it ends up just being a bit of an ego trip. People are there just to constantly give you applause and to say you're doing great stuff and you're so inspiring. But that's not really going to challenge you to move to that next level. And so me being in that environment, having those sweaty palms, thinking to myself, why am I here? Why did this person invite me? That forced me to make the best of that moment. You know, since I'm here, I might as well just soak in this energy. I might as well make use of the fact that I have this space with these individuals. And how can I learn from them? Because I think there is so much that we can learn from other people if we have the humility to do so. Yeah. And I also love the fact that, you know, you also kind of in this moment relied on other people. So kind of Mm. the kindness of strangers almost, because I think, did this kind of show you, because it sounds like you met a few people along the way who obviously gravitated to you and your energy and Mm. what you were giving out there. Even if you didn't think you were anything, they saw something in you. And do you think along the way, kind of the confidence that people had even put you in those situations helped you to realize, okay, I might be, they might be on something. I'm maybe, I I am good at this. (laughs) Definitely. I I think, uh, it, it, it certainly built my confidence over time, mm-hmm. uh, especially recently when when I launched the book in April this year, uh, April 2022. I had a lot of those individuals who were with me at the very first mastermind in the audience of the private book oh, launch. I love that. And so when we had the questions come from the audience, it was such a beautiful moment to me to have two questions from the people that were in that mastermind group. Mm-hmm asking me now for advice, yeah. uh, given the journey I've been on and what I've achieved. And it was such a beautiful moment because they have been part of that journey. They've been part of it right from the beginning. And to have them there celebrating that special moment with me was truly, truly memorable. Oh, that's so lovely. And I mean, again, it's hard to answer this, but do you ever think about Worms if you hadn't have gone? I mean, listen, it wasn't the reason why you're successful, but if you hadn't have said yes to that event, do you think about mm. how different things would have been for you? I think the the one thing that would have been different is probably the speed. Yeah. So I I, I quit the financial industry around 2017. And so really my time as an entrepreneur is around five, five to six years. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. But because of who I was exposed to, the opportunities I had, how I took them, how I showed up, the speed that I've been on in the last five or so years has has just been mind-boggling. Uh, when I look at the things that have come into my email, the things that have come up for me to attend or to be a part of, it's just crazy. Uh, and and I credit a lot of that to those moments where I said yes to to show up, yes to being introduced to someone, yes to that opportunity, even though 
deep down, I didn't feel like I was ready. I was like, well, say yes and worry about it later. I'll figure it out somehow. And I think doing that has really helped me accelerate on this journey. And I'm still learning now. I mean, there's lots more that I want to do, but it's really accelerated me in these early years. Yeah, say yes to events because you never know who you're going to meet. I think that's the moral of the story. Um, oh, Simon, thank you so much. It's been brilliant to chat to you today. And I'm so excited to continue to follow your journey. You're actually going international, aren't you, towards kind of the second half of the year? Definitely. I, I've really missed it, Jenny. I, I was doing a little bit of international work before the pandemic struck. Uh, but of course, since then, uh, it has been impossible to travel uh, because many events simply weren't held anymore. Uh, but it's been great uh, to see them starting to come up again. Uh, and I'm looking forward to spreading more of my work to different locations. Oh, amazing. Well, you're spreading lots of positive and amazing energy. <laughs> so thank you so much, Simon. It's been great to chat to you today. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.